strong word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time, one book at a time. We have just finished Ezra. We finished Daniel, we finished Ezra, and now moving on to a new book of the Bible. And I was thinking about this one, you know, like what book of the Bible should we do? I mean, really, the thing is, Ezra and Nehemiah, they really already start bumping right up to the time right before our Lord comes. So, I mean, it's like there's not really that much more Old Testament to keep going that way. So I said, you know, let's do a different kind of book in the Old Testament, because there's a variety of books in the Old Testament. And one of the kinds that we really haven't done so far is kind of your classic bread and butter prophetic book, the books of poetry, because really these guys were poets. All of these prophecies seem to be things that you could have sung or chanted. They were very musical. And I think that's probably why the poetry is so beautiful and it's something that we use today. And so we're looking at the prophet of prophets. We're looking at Isaiah. And this is a big one. There's 66 chapters, very similar to how, uh, depending on your count, there's 66 book of the, books of the Bible. It's sort of like a Bible within the Bible. Isaiah is is epic in its scope. You've got different parts of it. There's one part that kind of looks at things from the perspective of before the exile. There's one that's kind of looking at it from the perspective of maybe during or towards the end of the exile. And then in the final chapters, it's looking beyond the exile, which we were just talking about with Daniel and Ezra. So it really encompasses a huge chunk of time. But just the the poetry here and today in chapter one, you know, we've got that promise, that beautiful word of gospel that our Sins, though they be as red as scarlet, they will be cleansed to be white as snow. This is this is the language the church uses today. So very happy to be getting into Isaiah and to be taking a look at this as we approach Advent and Christmas even. And today we have as our guest, we've got Pastor Scott Adel here. We've got he's the pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. We've got him on the line. Good morning, brother. Good to have you on, and so excited to have you joining us for a new book of the Bible here. Absolutely. Good morning. It's good to be here. Yeah, and you got Isaiah 1, you lucky dog. We were just talking <laughs> to yeah. Pastor uh, Pastor Worth yesterday, and he was saying, you know, originally he was scheduled to have Isaiah, but then we gave him Ezra 10. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I got the better end of that deal. <laughs> right. But, you know, isn't it just something how, you know, Isaiah, it's it's um it, it's just of all these books in the Old Testament, it just it really just has stuck with the church. And it's even though it's it's really, you know, I mean, today we're looking at stuff that happened, you know, 700 years ago uh, or 700 before Christ, rather. So like 2700 years ago. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's language that just um, it sticks with us. It's it's language that we, we use in church on Sundays. Well, yeah, because, I mean, especially when you get into some of the later chapters, uh, Isaiah is the one they quote when when they talk about what Christ has accomplished. They pull from Isaiah to explain what happened before their eyes. Right. Because he's, he's just that vital uh, to explaining God's work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when we get into, this, is, this will actually be really helpful, because when we get into Advent and Christmas, the Old Testament lessons are pretty much all from Isaiah, too, aren't they? Yeah, he. I mean, he's quoted all over in the New Testament, and as you point out, he's read in churches up and down. I mean, there's 
like, uh, like you said, uh, there's almost whole seasons that are devoted to his Old Testament readings. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this will actually be really nice then for our listeners that, you know, because you'll, you'll, we'll just get, you know, little bits and pieces, right, of these prophecies from Isaiah when we're going through Advent and Christmas. But hopefully this kind of gives us the, the full picture. And when we do have those prophecies from Isaiah 6 or Isaiah 9, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to look back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, like we, well, we read the first, like, you know, 10 chapters of Isaiah all through. And so. I remember that. I remember how that fits together. So hopefully reading it this way, which is a way that you, you don't usually get to because it is usually just jumping around, but hopefully reading it straight through helps us see some things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll it'll also provide the context of Isaiah's day and and why those words were spoken, uh, even though we know that they're, they're spoken to us in the later church as well. I mean, he wasn't just jabbering and making nonsense talk mm-hmm. when he was saying them in his day as well. Right. Right. And I'm really ho- I'm looking forward to that today also because, you know, it's just I, I totally like what you're saying. You know, it's it's not like he was just saying things and everyone was like, Isaiah, what are you talking about? And then they were like, okay, well, just you just write that down and we'll look at it later, right? <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, you know, later we look at it, we're like, oh, that made sense. But it made sense to them, too. It, it did, although, sadly, uh, as with many of the prophets, oftentimes it was ignored mm, to his mm-hmm. face, but right. he, he was talking to them, and I mean, especially like when you get to chapter 7 or something like that, and he, he's speaking to a king, and he's basically telling the king, who, who, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God or your lying eyes? And the king goes, I'm going to believe my lying eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's true. Just because they knew what he was saying and they understood him, didn't mean yeah. that they liked what he was saying or, or cared nope. to continue listening. Just as much with Jeremiah and some of the other guys, too, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that's true, that's right. Uh, yeah, I know, and, and, we'll, and we'll get there, but, you know, sometimes sometimes we kind of heroically see ourselves following in the train of the prophets, and we're like, yeah, you know, we're like the <laughs> prophets, we're going we're gonna to tell them, and, but it's like, yeah, yeah, do you know what happened to the prophets? Do you know how well they were received? So Exactly, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Well, well. Thank you for for coming on. And I, I think this is our. Isn't this our first time together on Nice Strong Word? It is. It is. Yeah. So yeah. So thank you. And what a, what a way to start out for us together, looking at Isaiah chapter one. And as we get started here, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening as we begin this new book? Yeah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this day to hear your word. As we do so. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may understand your word and what you uh, have done for us in your word and through your word and especially through your word, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's you – know, this is a this is a decent-sized chapter, right? It's not um, – yeah. it, it's not like really, really long. It's certainly not short. It's about 30-some verses, but they're, they're kind of like full-sized verses. So uh-huh. good, good, hearty chapter. Um, so we need to keep a good pace, but the first verse is just loaded with historical significance. So let's just read the first verse here, and and mm-hmm. let's have a chance to just kind of explain for everybody. Okay, so what what are we talking about? Where on the timeline are we? So here's verse one of chapter one of Isaiah, English Standard Version here. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
All right. So like already there, there's something like, you know, like, what is that? Like eight Hebrew names or something <laughs> right off the yeah. bat. So, um, you know, so who is Isaiah? Who is Isaiah? Who is his daddy? What does he do? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are multiple guesses. It could be because he never states, uh, other than being someone who spoke the word of the Lord. He doesn't say if he was a priest or if he was in a, a royal court, just from reading the rest of the book, you gather that he obviously has access to Jerusalem's higher echelons. He has, uh, he's able to speak face-to-face with multiple kings. He also, in chapter 6, speaks of being in the temple. Mm-hmm. And so he, he knows what it's like. And normally priests only have that kind of access. So there's uh, a line of thought that says he might be a priest or, or someone mm-hmm. who has access to places that your ordinary person in Judah doesn't, you know? Right. Right. So so it is just very much like he doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about himself, and so you kind of, you know, maybe read between the lines, um, you know, mm-hmm. from things like the descriptions of the temple. But we don't really know, and, and for that matter, we, we don't really know exactly who his, his father is, um, you know, and that, that name, you know, I was kind of using the Hebrew pronunciation, Amos. But that name sounds like Amos, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's not. It's a different name, and we don't really know uh, much of anything about this guy except that he was Isaiah's dad. Correct. Yeah. But like I said, he, he, he does have access to multiple kings. And even later on when you get to Hezekiah, I mean, Hezekiah consults him. Yes. So he, he, he is decently well-known, and, and when Hezekiah's in trouble, Isaiah is the one he goes to. He knows Isaiah yeah, there, so there is something a little bit, I'm just thinking, it's sort of a little bit of a parallel to, like, Daniel in that, you know, this guy, his career stretches um, through multiple yeah. um, kings, multiple rulers, and he does gain, like you were saying, something of a reputation so that he is called upon, and, you know, thankfully, we finally get Hezekiah, we get a, we get a decent one, right, um, who mm-hmm. actually wants to listen to what he has to say, um, and so this is going to become, you know, key as we, as we look at this. Uh, one last question about Isaiah, so th- this is a... This is an interesting name. I, I remember the first time that I went to England, and I heard a British person mention Isaiah, and they said, not Isaiah, but Isaiah. And uh, I was just struck by that, like, you know, what? <laughs> and, this, mm-hmm. and this is like, what are you, Isaiah? That's actually how British people say it. Um, oh, of course, it's more like, you know, Isaiah. You know, okay, you they know, are weird. Little, yeah. <laughs> but a little bit of an accent. And that, that prompted me to say, okay, hang on a second. What's the name in Hebrew? And... Uh, well, the name in Hebrew is rather interesting, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's connected to several other names that, that we also recognize, like Joshua or Jesus. I mean, it, it means the Lord is my salvation or something along these lines. The Yah mm-hmm. it means, stands for Yahweh, and then the first half has to do with salvation, the, the same root that, as we said, uh, forms the root for Jesus' name or Joshua's name or some of these other guys, too. Right. Yeah, no. And that's actually the crazy thing is it's kind of just basically the name Jesus, but just kind of scrambled around differently is is the thing yeah. that, um, yeah, so so it actually, it's weird because in some ways the names like, you know, um, like Hosea, Jesus, Joshua, Isaiah, they're they're actually all in, this, in a way, they're all kind of the same name. Um, because yeah. Isaiah, even though it doesn't look like it, the, the name in Hebrew, right, is Yeshayahu. And so there's that Yesha. Right, that you get in something a name like you know Ye- Yeshua, right? Like that salvation part, like in Jesus' name, um, and then that last part there, Yahoo, 
And uh, of course, that's just a fun thing to say, but that's, that's a short form for the divine name Yahweh. And so when it comes at the end of a name, it, it shows up as Yahoo. When it shows up at the beginning of a name, um, it shows up as something like um, Yeho or just or just even Yeah sometimes. And so that's how you wind up with uh, Yeshayahu and Yeshua kind of both actually being the same name, Yahweh is salvation. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a fun thing to think about, that you're already just in the name of this prophet, have something of a foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus. And um, it's, really, it's really very interesting to think about that as a theme of the book. It's interesting how these names just end up being so significant, Be- because Isaiah's going to talk a lot about uh, fire and brimstone, right? But the thing is, he sees all of this as a way that God is going to save his people through all of it. Yes. Yes, no, you're right. That will be a constant theme throughout the well, entire book. Well, let, let's go ahead and look at this uh, fire and brimstone and salvation, this this mixture of things here. Um, I suppose, I suppose the last thing before we do, so it mentions a bunch of kings in Judah. We, we know there's Israel, Samaria in the north. There's Judah, Jerusalem um, in the south. And so these are a bunch of the southern kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. So when, when are we talking about? When, when was this exactly? So you're talking about 740 B.C. all the way up through, I mean, Hezekiah dies at something like 686 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, 50, 60 years. It, no one knows quite when Isaiah dies. Uh, the the Jewish kind of uh, tradition is that he died under Manasseh, who would be the king after Hezekiah. But mm-hmm. the, you get nothing from Isaiah's book itself as to when that happens. Right. So we, we know kind of generally this is when he, as a, as a prophet, was, was active. And, of course, it's a different question than, you know, when did all this stuff that he prophesied, like, get written down and pieced together and all the rest of it. But we, we know that, generally speaking, he's doing his activity in, like, the 700s, and especially when you mention Hezekiah, right? Um, that's, I think, going to have some play on what we see in Chapter 1. We're looking at, as you were saying, that time that's right yeah. before the turn of the century, um, right, getting into those early 600s, right around that time. And, of course, uh, we know the major event around this time is is both the, the fall of Israel in the north and mm-hmm. the siege of Jerusalem in the south by the Assyrians. And so we spent a lot of time in Daniel talking about the Babylonians, and then after them, the Persians, and after them, the Seleucids. But th- these, are the, these are the guys that came onto the scene before the Babylonians, even. These are the guys that the Babylonians revolted against. This is yeah. the first empire, um, I guess, other than Egypt, that Israel had to deal with. And while they didn't destroy Jerusalem, they got really close. Yes, they did. I mean, Isaiah will talk about it, uh, basically flooding them up to their necks, something like this. Right, they come all the way up to the walls of Jerusalem. Right, and so I, I think that, and this is, I think, what like a lot, pretty standard, like a lot of commentators would say. I think that this, when he goes and he lists all these things, he's kind of looking at this from the perspective of okay, looking back on these four kings: Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. I mean, it kind of reminds me how when we were looking at 
Ezra, there was occasionally a sort of perspective of, okay, when we look back on Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, Xerxes, um, last two switch those around, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, we're kind of dealing with the, the perspective of the last king, but we're mentioning all four because they're significant. So here we're kind of looking back on all of this, um, but kind of focusing on the aftermath of what happened during Hezekiah's reign, which was this this big siege. And so we're going to read this description that sounds uh, pretty bad, um, but it's like you were saying, it's, it's, it came up right to their necks, but they they did actually manage to hang on just barely. So that's what we have to look forward to here. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read the first uh, chunk of this here and, and just kind of appreciate the, the bad situation that they're in. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They're utterly estranged. Will you still be struck down? Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate, is overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. All right, let's pause there at 17 verses. It's, it's, it's about kind of the first half. But so uh -huh. this is interesting. We, we have a description of the destruction uh, that was left in, in the invasion, which, you know, was not complete, but there was a, it came up to the point of sieging the, the city. But, but Isaiah is giving us a spiritual perspective on this. It's not just, you know, a political power has come to take over, but there's a, there's a spiritual dimension, there's a spiritual reason why Israel and, and Judah are being punished here. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I mean, you get that starting out in verse two because they have rebelled against me. Right. right. They, they were my children. I, I reared them. I brought them up, and they rebelled against me. My people do not understand uh, that this is what has brought about the destruction coming from the nations. And as you said, the other part of the spiritual, spiritual dimension is the fact that it's not just Assyria doing this on their own, but the fact that God is the one who has called Assyria to do this. Right. And that that he is in charge. I mean, Assyria is destroying, but God is the one who is in charge. And it is a way in which, as you said earlier, he destroys the northern kingdom. Israel, Mm -hmm. Samaria is destroyed by Assyria, and the people carted off in exile. And then they come to Judah and up to Jerusalem. And one of the things that Isaiah is going to do throughout his book, as well as other the prophets during this time, is is point out, look, this is what God does to idolaters and sinners and violent people, is he destroys them. He he actually cares about that stuff. He he cares when you're violent and you're idolatrous, and he is going to put an end to it. And Isaiah is one of those, as we said, so he starts roughly 740. 722, we have the destruction of the northern kingdom. Right. And after that, Isaiah is going to be be able to say just to their face, "You saw this happen. Right. Do you want it to happen to you?" Mm-hmm. And sadly, many of them are going to say, "Whatever," or something mm-hmm. along these lines. You know, R- right? Yeah. No. So this is very similar to what we were talking about in in Daniel um, and Ezra. That you know that exile, the Babylonian exile of Judah, that. It is very similar to this situation here. You know, where Ezra and Daniel they're they're offering up these prayers of repentance, saying, you know what, that that invasion that Babylon carried out against us, the exile that they conducted, that that's on us. That that was God using Babylon. That was God using Nebuchadnezzar to do these things. And so similarly here, this is earlier before all that. God is using Sennacherib of Assyria. God is using Assyria to exile the north. Um, and to threaten destruction in the south, and I mean, and to accomplish a fair bit of it, though it's not complete, as you were saying, you know. And so it's this opportunity for Isaiah to be like, "Hey guys, you, you saw what just happened. Are you really going to carry on the same way that the North did? Because I mean, Judah, it, by you know, by all accounts, it seems like they were not quite as bad, maybe, as the North." But they were carrying on in a lot of the same ways, and and we saw this when we were looking at some of the stuff in Ezra. This isn't paganism where as long as you just conduct the ceremonies correctly and conduct the sacrifices the right way, you're in the good. Here, mm-hmm. God's saying, yeah, you're you're doing all the sacrifices the right way. You're giving me these these nice juicy you know um, animals that are well fed. Yeah, and you're lifting up your your hands in prayer, but your hands are full of blood. I cannot stand the hypocrisy of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so he, he's called in punishment. I mean, this is what he's getting at in verses five and six. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to be rebel? Right, your head is sick, your heart is faint, from the sole of your foot even to their head. There's bruises and sores and raw wounds. In essence, he's like, I have punished you. In just about every way I can without killing you. I, I've right. spanked you. I've grounded you. I've taken away your video games. You can't <laughs> yeah. play with anyone. Why Why would you keep going on like this? And, and the, the question is left to them. What What are you going to do? 
Yeah. And, and, and what would I do in response? If your way is going to be continued rebellion, continued violence, continued trampling down of the poor and theft and all of these other things that we all know go against the commandments, well, what, what is God going to do to someone like that? That's the question that Isaiah has for him. We've got to go into a break, but we will keep on this question here, looking at Isaiah chapter 1 on Thy Strong Word. Hang with us. We'll be right back. that's good and beautiful in the world, it's still broken and suffering under a curse. Dr. Michael Ziegler tells what God has done, is doing, and will do to set things right again. Hear how the curse of God fell upon the Son of God for you, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. This is Pastor Stanley Stanley asking you to save the date, Tuesday, October 8th, for a great day of golf and fellowship at Norwood Hills Country Club to benefit Christian Friends of New Americans. Registration, 10.30, followed by lunch and 18-hole scramble shotgun start at 12 noon. Evening event includes 5 p.m. hospitality hour, dinner, and awards. Become a sponsor or register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. A great way to spend the day. Play a round of golf and support CFNA as they bring the love of Christ to refugees and immigrants in the St. Louis area. Not a golfer, but would like to learn more about CFNA and ways to be involved? Register for the evening hospitality hour and dinner event. That's Tuesday, October 8th at Norwood Hills Country Club. Register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by Pastor Scott Adel, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. We're looking at a new book of the Bible. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 1. And what a, I mean, what a chapter, right? I mean, he gets right into it. There's this, there's this prophecy, this description of fire and blood and sickness. And we were just describing that, how Isaiah leaves them with this question. He's saying, guys... God's using the Assyrians to punish and to do his will. And, you know, how much further do you want him to go here? You know, I mean, you know, he, he's gone, destroyed the land. He's come right up to the city gates. I mean, do, do you want him to destroy Jerusalem, too? That's that's his, that's the only thing left. Do you want him to just totally wipe you out? Yeah. Um, and that, that was the question that we kind of left hanging there. Uh, this is the first half, and there's there's a couple more things we should talk about before we move on to the second half of the chapter. But I want to make sure I invite everybody listening live, if you are listening live over the Internet or uh, you know, maybe on your app, if you got something like um, you know iHeartRadio or something like that or CastBox and you've managed to get the live stream there, you can call in. If you are in St. Louis, 314-821-0850 or 1-800-730-2727. 
or as always, you can send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. And uh, one last reminder, it is it is Rally Week. This is the last day of Rally Week this week. And so, you know, we've had some of our different guests this week, whether it was uh, Pastor Worth yesterday, where the people of Good Shepherd in Arnold, they're there were Church of the Week. Um, I think it's what was it the end of end of September or October that they're doing that is just as they give thanks for fifty years of ministry that God's doing with them. Or we saw with that Pastor uh, Pastor Lekumski earlier this week how he and his wife were day sponsors, and as that was their their offering of Thanksgiving that they were offering as they were celebrating seventeen years together. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can also use those numbers and uh, talk to somebody like that. But so, yeah, as we are looking here, I, I want to focus in before we move on to the second half of the chapter. You know, so what what is it exactly that they're doing to, to merit all of this? And, and how does that tie into our own situation? Because, man, I, I, I look at this stuff and I see some frightening parallels between what they were doing and what we're doing as a society. Yeah, it does bring you a uh, pause. Well, he, he talks in verse 2, they have rebelled against me. He calls them laden with iniquity. They deal corruptly. They've, uh, I mean, if, if if you keep going not only in this uh, chapter, but in the rest of the chapter, he, he'll be more explicit about them being wealthy and trampling down the poor, about them being covetous and greedy and, and uh, thieves, as well as kind of centered around uh, and idolatry, while at the same time with their mouth saying, "No, no, 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 we're fine with God. We we go right. to the temple. We we, right. uh, we everything. We've checked off the list. He tells us to make sacrifices. I checked that off this week." And, and they treat him as just another idol, as they would Baal or Molech or any of these other ones. They they think that they can buy God off. And right. if we make the if we if we sacrifice the sheep for the week, we're good. We, he's off our back. We can go do what we want to do, and what they want to do is greedy and rebellious and idolatrous. Right. Yeah. No. And so yeah. In the in the second half, the focus is going to shift a little bit more towards like you were saying idolatry, and we're going to see those parallels there when we see like the oaks and the gardens, and and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this paganism that's just right alongside the worship of the true God. So there's that. In this first half, the focus seems to be particularly on the injustice and the corruption, right? Like the, the blood on their hands. And, and what, what does it say there at the end, right? It's a big summary. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Um, and, and that's been the language kind of like uh, in actually a few places, or we're going to see it again later. It's they're they're failing to protect the most vulnerable in their society. And mm-hmm. whenever you see the widow and orphan, man, the widow and orphan, that was practically like one word in Hebrew, <laughs> like the, the widow and the orphan, um, be, because that was just kind of the, the shorthand way of saying those are the neediest people in society. Those are the people, I mean, just with the way society was structured, if you were you were cut off from a family, either because your, your husband or your parents died, that was the worst spot to be in. And, and those are the people that were getting ignored. Those were the people that were getting uh, left aside and left out because everyone was too busy chasing money and, and chasing whatever it is that was shiny, that, that appealed yeah. to their senses. 
and, and just he's, just he's how speaking, go ahead. I was going to say he's speaking in Jerusalem, so he he's speaking to not only the king but the judges and the princes and, and whoever is set up uh, that that is in a position of power. That it's your duty. Yeah, right? your duty as a judge is to promote justice and to carry it out. Your duty as a king or a prince or whatever position in the hierarchy you feel that that is what you are there for. And that's exactly not what you're doing. Instead, you're going after bribes and filling your own pockets. Right. Well, yeah, and we talked about that last time um, in looking at Ezra chapter 10, how so much of the problem with the intermarriage was that it was being carried out by the leaders. And, and it's like, mm-hmm. you guys are the ones who should know yeah. better. You're in the position of leadership. And, and we see like how when we drew the analogy to Numbers 25, I mean, it's the leaders who get punished more severely. God holds leaders to a higher standard. And the, the scary thing is, for all the virtues of uh, democracy, and we say like, oh, this is so much better that, you know, it, the rule is is not just by the few; it's by the people. All of us are uh-huh. in charge. Well, yeah. guys, guess what that means, right? Um, Correct. All yeah. of us are guilty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, now, now this means that, that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that this is one of the things that we didn't talk about yet in verses two and three is just how this is laid out as, uh, in some ways, a court case. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord yep. has spoken. That's right. Right. He is calling on heaven and earth and all of creation to witness, and it, it just almost as a backstop. Not that the Lord needs a backstop, but just making He's making His case, and just said, "This is what I have done for my people, and this is how they have returned that. This is this right. is what they have done with that." And and in Isaiah one, He makes the case to all of creation, the heavens and the earth. Look at what has happened. Later on, and obviously we as readers will be a part of that, and as he lays out his evidence, and we'll have a chance to say, you're right, that's messed up. They should not have done that. Right. But later on, this will happen a couple different times throughout the book of Isaiah, chapter 5 especially, where he has the vineyard parable, where he say, okay, why don't you, why don't you just tell me how you would judge this case? Right. And this is what I've done for you. I've planted you. I've taken care of you. I've watered you. I've given you everything a gardener could possibly do, right. and yet you've produced vileness. You've produced uh, things that, that are revolting. So we, we had in in verses 9 and 10, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And verse 10 follows up, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. When those kind of things come up, it should just bring a, a response of revulsion, right? If you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, you're revolted, right. A, at what they did, right. but B, at, at what their outcome was. They mm-hmm. became a byword. They became yeah. something that people shield their eyes from. It was so bad. Right. And he's saying this now to Judah and Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and then, like, for us, you know, we, we look back on this and we're thinking to ourselves, like, yeah, you know, just... How, how dense were they? They saw the North fall, and they kept doing this, and they were so corrupt, and how could they go on like that? We surely would have never done that. But, I mean, just look at the descriptions here. You know, you know, in verse in verse 8, you know, you mentioned uh, the vineyard in verse 5, but we have a, a vineyard here in verse 8. It says, yeah. uh, the daughter of Zion is left uh, like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. You know, like like the, the, the poverty and the destruction has left people just basically like living in tents in the fields. And and what do we have? We we, we literally have 
um, just like hordes of uh, people who are homeless, especially a huge number of them who are sick um, and who are especially mentally ill. And they have set up like cities of tents just, I mean, just in like, you know, in the in the wooded areas in our country and like on Skid Row. In the land of plenty, I think is what you're getting at, right? What's in that? the land of plenty. Yeah, that's right. They're that's doing right. this that's in exactly. the land of plenty, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all, all, all these, all these things that he describes. Um, you know, he talk about like you know the most vulnerable, right? The widow and the orphan. Well, like I mean, just think about how in our society, how the most vulnerable, whether those are you know returning veterans who are who are disabled, or you're talking about, um, I mean, the the unborn, those who literally have no voice for themselves. Who I mean, in some demographics, I mean, like more unborn babies are, are killed than are allowed to see the light of day. I, I mean, yeah. just we are doing all the same things that they're doing. And is it do, do we really have any I mean, are we so arrogant that we think it's going to turn out any differently for us? Correct. Yes. I mean, th this is why Isaiah speaks to us just as much as he did uh, to them back then. But th this is also one of the scary things about, as you said earlier, about us having the vote. You can't yeah. say, I, I never had a choice. Uh, we voted those guys into office. And yeah. you could say you didn't vote for all of them, but we did vote for some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's right. And, and it's, you know, also, you know, just consider, right, you know, if, yeah, I mean, how, how many people actually vote in an election, right? If all the people who just didn't vote had voted for anybody marginally better, right? <laughs> you know, the whole thing could have been avoided. But I mean, really, so all that, all those words of our, of our God that say, you know, hey, you know, you who make the laws, you who judge, you who are in the position of leadership. I mean, they, they, they land squarely on us. You know, we're, we said, oh, yeah, let, let's, let us have the vote. We'll make just laws if we, the people, you know, have a voice like, well, we, you know, we have spoken and what have we wrought? So, I mean, th this should do nothing but bring us to the point of fear and trembling and saying, oh, man, like, it's it's no surprise if, if we in our society experience um, – some calamity here and if anything does happen it's on us and we should be moved to repentance and we should pray like ezra and we should be praying like daniel and we, yeah, we should I, mean, be, I, I would yeah. think you, you you could maybe even say maybe we felt some of those tremors already beginning absolutely yeah. and as jesus says this calls us first and foremost to repentance not to pointing fingers but calls us to repentance and whether or not we voted for the people in office now what what we do have to hold them to is is exactly what what Isaiah says: cease to do evil, right. learn to do good, right. seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. That that is what we are called to, or that is what leaders uh, of a nation are called That's to. Right. Uh, later on, of course, Paul and Peter will say, promote the good and punish the bad. Right. That is what you are called to do as a leader. That's right. The, the left-hand kingdom of God should be doing those things. It doesn't yeah. matter if they have faith or not. Many of them won't have faith. But they know, um, just because the law of God is written on our consciences, they know that we should be looking out for the most vulnerable, that we should be fair, that we shouldn't be showing favoritism to people just because they have more money and influence. All these things are abundantly clear God doesn't need to give any extra special revelations on those matters. No. We, we know what we need to do. Correct. Just a golden rule, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Well, okay, let's let's go ahead. You already mentioned the idolatry because it, it really completes the picture and, uh, I mean, also just kind of tightens the noose around us as well. But in the second half of the chapter, you get some re- repetition of this theme of, like, the injustice and not protecting the, the, the fatherless and the widow. But you, you bring in this idolatry dimension. So let, let's round it out here, read the second half of the chapter. We left it off. Where was it? You got to pick up an 18. Yeah, no, no, that's right. It was uh, 18, just uh, kind of before, depending on where you, you you mark that halfway point. So verse 18 here. Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your skin, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, I just have to pause and just, we got to talk about this part. There's like the poetry here is just, I mean, it's just amazing, right? I mean, that last part, right? It's like you'll eat the word, it's like you'll either eat the good of the land or you'll be eaten by the sword yeah. because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, I mean, like the poetry is immense, right? But then yeah. the first part, of course, uh, the, the sin's like scarlet shall be white as snow so so what's i mean i think we all that just speaks to us like oh man i want forgiveness like that and i think it points ahead to the forgiveness we have in christ um just so clearly i think everyone feels that like every christian reads that and they're like wow that that that's just something but but i'm thinking to myself you know like you were saying what did what was what was judah hearing there like what was isaiah trying to say to those people Mm -hmm. well i we just got through that list of all of the bad things that they were doing, and he told them to knock it off. And then in verse 18, come now, let us reason together, right? We will come together, I will speak, and this is the outcome. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And so we, we talked earlier about kind of what do we expect as a, a sinful people, and how would how would God respond and verse 18 comes out of nowhere, and it's not what you were expecting. Right. right. When he says, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, because all these bad things are going on, right. we want to know how the Lord will respond. He says, come to me, and I will make it so that your sins will be white as snow. You will be, though you're red, you will be white like wool. And we think, well, that's not the way I would have done it. Yeah. But this is, the, this is the way that God does it, right? He, he, he responds with forgiveness. Right. And that's not what we are looking for according to a worldly reason, logic, however you want to put it. That's not what we're looking for. But God says, this is what, we'll, what I will do. And you, you can come away from that recognizing who I am and therefore who you are and what you are called to be. And you can accept that and you can receive that with thanks and praise and then eat the good of the land on the other hand if you refuse even that then there is nothing else i can do for you right so so there's this choice that's being held out right come let's reason together i mean like hang on guys let's let's think about this there's two ways this can go i mean so so there's the one way of you keep down this path and 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 yeah we're just gonna it's gonna be complete destruction but he's, you know, even now, like you were saying, there's this unexpected turnoff, you know, like you thought that you were in the middle of nowhere, but 
hey, look at that. There's actually an exit ramp here, and we can get off this crazy train. You know, like there, there's an opportunity yeah. here, and he's going to forgive. And this, this the language is so striking because he uses the word scarlet, right? And, and yeah. what what is that like in context, right? Well, like, what what did he just say? What 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 has that red, crimson, scarlet color? Yeah, blood. you have blood on your hands. You yeah. have blood on your hands, right? I mean, that's what they were saying. You spread out your hands in prayer, and your hands are full of blood. I mean, th- this is like Cain, you know, having freshly like killed his Correct. brother Abel, and he's here lifting up his sacrifice of of wheat and of field saying, okay, now God will accept my sacrifice, and he's got the blood of his killed brother on his hands. I mean, so, I mean, it, it's the blood, right? And and that's the thing. If we if you know anything about bloodstains, it's like it's like impossible to get them out, it seems. Um, and so this is, this is the crazy thing, that you've got this stain, which it seems there's no way you could possibly remove, but God will remove it completely. And, and we know the greatest irony is he's going to remove it by the blood of his own son. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that he'll flesh that out, obviously, later on in the book, but you're absolutely right. It, is, it doesn't look like that should work, and yet it does. Or right. Why does it snow? It, it, it's why an amazing cool. illustration. Like, you know, you've got that language in Revelation that, you know, there's these people with these white robes, these, these beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. snow wool robes, right? They and made it's like, them well, white. Yeah, how'd they get some white? Yeah, <laughs> you, can you, you can imagine that they're like they're dipping these robes in blood, and the outcome whiter than you've ever seen before. It, it seems like that should be the opposite of what happens, but that's yeah. that's the that's the power of the forgiveness and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Brighter than any launderer could launder them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so yeah, we just I, I said we'd read the second half. Well, now we need to read the second half, but we just you have to stop and appreciate you got to stop Come and appreciate on. that Come language, on. right? Yeah. All right, all right. So here, here's the second half here, and we'll tie this into the idolatry then. Verse 21. How the, unfa- how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, uh, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. And I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed for they that for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you've chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, whose leaf withers, like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together, with none to quench them. So, you know, it, it ends with, uh, I mean, actually, it's really interesting. This is how chapter one of Isaiah ends. Chapter 66, the last chapter of Isaiah, ends yeah. very similarly with a fi- fiery note, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, it, it, so, it does. And, and I mean, the, the way he ends it this way is the strong shall become tender and his work a spark. Right. It's by your own deeds that you're going exactly. down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, you, you are really bringing this on yourselves. And, 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 the, and the point here, we, we, we saw this. This is, this, is in, this is interesting. He's bringing out that it's not just the hypocrisy that, you know, here they are praising God, but they're, you know, uh, trampling over the weak and the, and the fatherless. But it's also that they're praising God, right? Like along the, alongside of you know um, these other gods, like you know Baal and um, you know Asherah and all the rest of them. Um, that here they are worshiping like like pagans with these these oak trees and these gardens, you know, which is just the shorthand for that kind of worship that they were doing. So yeah. th- there's the full picture. Like you mentioned, um, even in our day. Just kind of saying, like, oh yeah, you know, you know, God, we we you know we we, we do those sorts of things, and we're we're good people, like you say, we follow those sorts of rules, and so we we just kind of lump it all together, like it's all one big one big thing, and it's all the same. But, but what's interesting to me is that uh, this this word of destruction is simultaneously line gospel that yeah it's it's like you know oh fire is coming yikes, but the the fire is described as saving as well right i mean like he's saying like we in this part that we just read you know there, there's this 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 city that used to be full of righteousness um the silver has become what well, used to be pure but now it's mixed with dross and so what's the only solution it's time for the silver to go into the refiner's fire judgment is coming but what's going to be the left the end result is we'll be purified and we won't have this terrible situation going on anymore no, you're right. It 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 is both uh, that it, it will destroy God's enemies and at the same time refine. He will use it to refine his people. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's kind of. I mean, it, it's challenging. I, I think you know appreciating that. I mean, it. I, I feel like it's it's very close to reality, though. You know, like uh, I mean, just really, really when you when you preach law or gospel, I mean, w- whether it's taken one way or the other, it, it very often. Um, <laughs> depends on who's listening you know i mean i was just i mean uh, part of a conversation yesterday and you know you, you talk about you know god's gonna come and he's you know he's gonna judge um every, like the the good and the evil and then then we're gonna have the new heavens and the new earth and we're gonna be praising god for all eternity and someone's like um well hang on a second what if i don't want to do that you know what if that, that sounds terrible i don't want to just praise god for all eternity and, and this is what someone was was voicing and and so it's amazing how a word of gospel sounds like a condemning word of law um, well yeah it does, it, god does set aside a place where you don't have to worship him I that's mean, right that's, that's, that, that's right that's true <laughs> no that's true i mean like even, even here in isaiah one right you know he says you know the oaks that you desired right the gardens that you chose for yourself i mean i mean this is the thing everyone's making their bed here um you know he he is giving in, in a way of speaking he's kind of giving everyone exactly what they deserve and what they want like if you that's want to be part of god's people okay want. i'm going to let you do that but if you don't want to we have a place set aside for you you might not enjoy it like you're thinking, but yeah. we do have that place set aside. Right. No, I, I mean, this is the, the I mean, the, the call of the gospel is a call to be with God, and it's done by his means. He is the one that provides the way. He's the one that clothes us. He's the one that feeds us. He's the one that brings us there. But if you don't want to be with Christ, if you don't want to be with God, I mean, that that's what the, that's what the last day is, him right. coming to be with us forever. Right. 
And, and, and the, the true love of the Christian, I mean, this is stated various ways throughout the Scripture, but the true love of the Christian has to be, first and foremost, with God. And right. all the other things, he says, seek first the kingdom, all those other things are added to you. But if you seek after those other things, all of it's going to be taken from you, right? Even what he right. has taken. Right. Well, I mean, and, and just like you were saying, you know, you're not going to enjoy the alternative nearly as much as you think you will. I mean, like in verse right. 30, I mean, isn't isn't this just something? He's like, okay, so you want you want the oaks? You want the gardens? Okay, verse 30, you shall be like the oaks in the gardens, Right. You shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, like a garden without water. I mean, th- that's the thing. We we think that there's some good alternative to God. Like, oh, you know what? We we can we can live a moral life, um, but we don't have to believe all that superstition. And I can be a good person, and I can have liberty, and I can have freedom, um, you know, but I'm, and not be bound to all those rules of God. But I mean, the problem is when we we separate ourselves from God. You know, we think we're free, but we're we're enslaved. We're enslaved to our own passions. You know, we we think that we're gonna oh we're gonna be good people, um, but the thing is, like, we're only gonna be good people because we're gonna call good evil and call evil good. Correct. I mean, Paul gets it, the fruits of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All those things, and there are plenty of people who think they can have those things without having the Holy Spirit, without having God. And God says. No, I'm the one who gives those things. Just right. like here, when you're when you're talking about oaks or gardens, all of those are God's creations. Right. And I, I don't, I can't remember if you've gone through Hosea, but not yet. Okay, but I mean, one of the things he says here, you think you get these things from Baal, or that you can get these things from Baal. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start to pull away all of the things that I actually give you, and you'll find out that Baal gave you none of those things. Right. Yeah. No, that's right. And yeah, you're good, not going good to luck be, with your oaks and your gardens if I take away the water. If, if you want to get rid of me, I'll just take all my stuff as well, and you will be left with nothing. Right. You'll be left with, you'll be like an oak whose leaves wither. You'll be like a garden without water. That's right. Well, hey, brother, I mean, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, and thank yeah. God for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So good having you on for the first time, and we got to have you on again soon. Good deal. Everybody, that was Pastor Scott Adel, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Uh, We thank you for tuning in. Um, Tune in next week. We're going to keep going through Isaiah. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Got a really cool um, feature on their website with the How Can I Understand project. It's a project for Bible storybooks for kids in Ethiopia. It's such a huge need. they got, you know, four times as many Lutherans in Ethiopia as we do out here in our country. So check that out. Until next time, everybody, have a good weekend. Peace. Your is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.